We are thrilled to be talking to Chris Thierfelder this week on Let's Make Work Human, the podcast. After 25 years in his career, Chris looked at his accomplishments and realized that the thing that he was most proud of was not developing technology, but developing people. His consultancy, TWC Group, was founded on the premise that the typical rules for leadership and team development needed to be broken to unlock everyone's potential to innovate professionally while holding true to their most authentic selves. Interesting, right? Learn more about Chris in the show notes. This conversation covers so much ground about making workplaces that are good for people. We laugh, we tackle the hardest things, and we could have talked a lot longer. Let's dig in with Chris. Imagine if work was actually good for people. Not just for a few people, but for everyone in every job. Sadly, work today is often not only not good, but is actually terrible for the human beings who work there. We can do better. On this podcast, my friend and colleague, May Ratz and I, Mo Carrick, with our amazing guests, bring you both the hard questions and the real solutions to reimagining and resetting every workplace from the tiny mom and pop to the mega company to be good for people. When we thrive at work instead of just survive, everyone wins. Let's take a look at what it takes to make work human. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Today we're talking to Chris, who's in Santa Barbara. And Mo, will you tell us about Chris and why why he's here, why we chose him, why we want to talk to him today, and anything else that you would like to add? I would love to introduce, I'm super honored to have uh, Chris Thierfelder with us today on the podcast. And um, May, always a pleasure to see you. And the reason that Chris is here, we met because when I think it was when I was in book launch for Brave Space Workplace, I think that my agent mm-hmm. got me placed on your podcast, which is called The Case of the Mondays. And it was a super fun conversation. I loved it. And for any of our listeners, that book is being re-released in June in a second edition because there's been so much really good research coming out um, from COVID about how to make workplaces fit for human life. So that's sort of a different issue. But we had a great conversation when May and I launched the podcast last year. I, you know, you and I have been following each other since then. I've seen all the great work you're putting out there in the world, Chris, and really admire the voice you have, the perspective you're taking on the world of work in general, on leadership in particular, as well as culture and many other things. So when we were making our A-list for season two, which is an interview-based podcast instead of just the May and Mo show, although that was super fun, you were at the top of the list to invite. So I'm really glad that it worked out for you to join us today. Oh, thank you so much, Mo. I, truly, it was great to hear back from you. It was great to be invited. Um, and you're right, we had a super fun chat. It's still one of my favorite chats. I'm actually going to rerun it uh, while I take a break because because uh, people really love it. And uh, yeah, and so anyway, it just it was, and I I love your first season, and uh, I had a really good time uh, binging your episodes uh, over Aww. the last several months. Uh, so yeah, so it's great to be here. Oh, awesome. Thank you. We we had fun. We had fun. We still have fun with this pod. The pod is one of the funnest, easiest things we've ever done, I think. Don't you think, May? Yeah, absolutely. Except for when the contractors outside your house cut your internet. Then it's not so much fun. Then it's not so fun. <laughs> right. Let, it sounds like a case of the Mondays, actually. So let's go right into it. Chris, you are in charge of a podcast called A Case of the Mondays, a thoughtful mm-hmm. business podcast for thoughtful business people. What does that mean? Who are those people? What's what's the deal with that? So, a case of the Mondays. First of all, it's a cliche, right? I mean, I you've you've seen the movie Office Space. You've probably heard of this cliche. Someone sounds like someone's got a case of the Mondays, and I really, I don't know why, but I, I really like that cliche because it really kind of gets to the heart of what I'm trying to push against, and that is that I really believe that what ails the business community at every level is that so much of it it is on autopilot. So many people from leaders all the way up and down through organizations are really just going through the motions. They have, you know, the, the phrase, the Sunday scaries, for instance, right? They are dreading going in on Monday morning. Once they get there, they're trying to avoid work. Once they're in work, they're trying, they're just, they're not engaged. They're just trying to go through their day and get to the weekend, right? Mm -hmm. So many, 
you know, again, getting back to cliches or getting back to memes or getting back to, you know, what, what sort of passes for thought leadership on the subject is people trying to do one of two things, either just get to Friday or grind themselves and sort of create this artificial sense of, of inertia so that they can, you know, believe that they're being, you know, productive and they're putting, putting something out there. But I do think that foundationally, when I say it's a thoughtful business podcast for thoughtful business people, what I'm trying to do is, is really trying to wake folks up and get them off of autopilot and say, you know, you, you're a whole, you're a whole being, you're a whole person. Like let's, let's engage, let's get fully engaged. And if you're not fully engaged, then it's, I don't think it's your fault. Right? It's not, it's not you. It's like, it's this environment. It's this thing that we need to talk about. And yeah. so that's, that's really um, in my own way, either through interviews with, with Mo and, and folks like Mo or just myself kind of riffing, really trying to just put some kind of energy, some kind of anima into the, into the, the bloodstream of folks who are just trying to go through the motions and, and get them to get them to, to wake up a little bit. Oh, I love wow. that. I love that. And I, I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about jobs I've had where I, where I have the Sunday scaries, you know, um, which doesn't happen to me anymore. I've, I've owned my own business for 22 years. And I, I mean, there are some Mondays that are harder than others, right? But in general, I don't have that dread. But when I tap back in to that dread that you're speaking of, like that feeling um, of, oh, it's Sunday. I've got to get ready for Monday. This just feels really awful. It's horrible. It's horrible. And we spend so much time at work that it's just hard to believe that people are going through that in so many work settings. And it, it's not always on a Monday, right? But whenever their week starts or when, whenever right. their, you know, their scheduled time is, um, it just feels so much like we can do better for sure. Well, you, Mo, um, the last thing, the, 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 the podcast, my podcast that, that you were on, the way we closed the podcast, I don't know if you remember or not, but I asked you, for the person sitting in their car on a Monday morning, sitting in the parking lot, um, and they don't want to go into the building that they're supposed to go into, what would you have them say to themselves? And do you remember what you said? You said, take a breath and say, I am enough. Oh. And I still, first of all, I still do that. Every time oh. I am going to meet with a new client or have a new, you know I mean? Not necessarily because I'm scary, but just as a reminder, right? I'm a whole person. I'm enough. But it was such a just uh, it's a chewy thing for people to say and bite mm. down on and remind themselves. And I think that, again, that ethos is something that I just I get so passionate about that you are enough. And if you're struggling with being in a place, it's not you. <laughs> See, it's yeah. not you are not the problem. The, 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 the condition that you found yourself in is has been yes. imposed on you. And so what, what, what do we need to do about that? Oh, I love that. Thank you for that memory. I, uh, I, it is a mantra that I try to say often to myself, and I think it does help us get through, you know, some of those dark times or those scary times where we're just not sure, you know, that we're mm -hmm. going to be able to get through it well, which makes me think of something, Chris. One of the things I noticed as we were prepping for the podcast, and it might have even been before we sent you the invitation because we of, of our schedule for the season. Um, but you have recently experienced what is probably one of the scariest, hardest things for people, not the people that are dreading their job, but the people that might actually be liking their job, um, which is a layoff. And it's something that is like mega in our environment right now, you know, especially, of course, in the big five tech companies. But we're sort of seeing this, we're in this paradoxical time where we're both experiencing a lot of layoffs and we're also experiencing tremendous talent shortage, sort, shortages where people can't find the people that they need. But yeah. how, first of all, how are you doing? That's a really hard thing. Now I'm okay. Um, now I'm doing okay. I, um, getting laid off was, I was about, you know, it was funny. I, I, I'm going to check myself here because for the first time in that moment when I was being laid off and I, you know, got called into the office and the VP of HR and then the HR person oh, and there was a Which weird you just know is bad. You just know which it's going to be bad. bad when you're like, like, please meet with us with like, the VP of HR. Yeah. You people have not taken an interest in me in the entire time I have been here. And now you would like to have a touch-based conversation. It's oh. like, and I, and I, at first I, I will, uh, to be completely candid, I completely panicked. I tried to get a hold of my mm -hmm. boss, couldn't get a hold of him. Well, it turns out he was getting laid off right before me. Um, oh. So he was, so his, his phone was, I mean, unavailable. 
and, and there were other people. So it was this whole. It was this. Whole, it was the worst. But I honestly, I, I, I took a breath before I, I took a breath, and said, I thought to myself, okay, I am enough, and I did a little bit more breathing, and I, I went into the meeting, and I will tell you, it was they treated me so poorly and and so and and so inhumanly, right? But I was. I have to be proud of myself because I was able to have enough of a presence of mind to just mm. to just say this is i get it this layoff is happening i will sign the paper it is i am not there's uh, we're not going to make a stink however i want you to know that i want you to look at me i want you to acknowledge that i'm a person mm. i want you to acknowledge that i deserve to be treated better than this and I want you to acknowledge, and maybe you're not ready for it, but understand that there were a number of decisions that needed to be made to get to this point. And at every point you made the one without integrity. Mm. And, and then that was the end of it. And I, I was like, it was a real turning point for me in my life because I mean, of course, and then I, the rest of the day, I completely melted down and had a whole thing. But, <laughs> um, but in that moment, I managed to at least keep my dignity. And I think that that mm. is something that it absolutely breaks my heart of all the people who have gone through that and they are not only t- their livelihood is disrupted, their lives are disrupted, their families' lives are disrupted, but their dignity is taken too. And that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely, that is, it's an avoidable thing. I mean, frankly, I think if we have better leaders, the whole thing is, un- is avoidable, but at least mm-hmm. if something happens, allowing people to retain their dignity is absolutely critical. So now I'm okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. for a little while. Well, no, and, I, and I'm really proud of you for like being able to claim that dignity in that moment. And and I'm curious when you think back to that really hard thing, what was the most dehumanizing element of it? Yeah, so it was no. There was a couple pieces to it that all and all create a whole. First is that I had not gotten a review. I had not gotten any kind of feedback on my performance, on mm. on my value to the organization, on kind of what I was, you know. So it was true. I mean, it, so it was. A, that's a weird good news, bad news thing. Good news is not personal. Bad news is they don't even care about you. So that they they would they had not thought of enough of me as a person to even mm. have made an effort prior to like you know if there was a correction possible or something coming. So that was one part of it. The other part of it was. Just the very, um, the very impersonal XYZ company is becoming something else and you are not a part of it. Verbatim, mm-hmm. verbatim quote. And I, I was, I thought to myself, I might've even said it at the time. I said, mm-hmm. did you, did you practice that? Like, is that something <laughs> like that feels rehearsed? Did you, that was the thing you came up with? You're like, that we just was... lost that five seconds ago. So yeah, <laughs> practice it. Like, what are you, like, and so it, it, it's not that it lessened the blow because mm. that's not necessarily true, but it, it allowed me enough of like, um, a, like a glitch in the matrix to like catch myself to think, mm-hmm. okay, wait a minute. This is a, this is a traumatic thing that's happening and it is happening to, happening to me. And it's just, this is not great. And these are not the kind of people I want to work with. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to figure out a way to come back from this because I don't even want to be here in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's my computer. Here's <laughs> my badge. Here's my everything. Lose my number. Like, <laughs> oh. So you knew like that was part of like, I, I'm out. Did you want out before? Like, were you feeling unhappy there? I I knew that I was I had had a couple of of hard I had had a no not a couple of but the previous four weeks had been really challenging and Mm -hmm. I was in a situation where I felt really adrift and just did not understand what was going on and I was trying to get traction to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with my boss and and his his leadership team and it just it was it was like um, all the signals were crossed all the like everything was just it felt super it was way more angst than there really should be in a working environment. But I hadn't really, th- what I, what I had thought, you know, it, prior to kind of that little stretch of really just bad meetings and weirdness was, okay, what I need to do is leverage this opportunity to really figure out 
what I'm good at and what I need to do next and what I kind of what's the real thing that kind of comes on the other side of this because my boss happens to be a very dear my former boss happened to be a very dear friend of mine which is why I got the job in the first place because he he was basically he said I know you don't do this but will I, I need some help will you help me out and I said no and he, we went back and forth and I said <laughs> fine and so yeah it was an uncomfortable position for me to be in but I felt like oh well but I'm learning right I mean it's okay because I'm learning I have a I have a support I have a support structure and a, and a very good friend who's a really smart guy and giving me good mentorship and so it's like okay eh, hit a bump in the road let's let's kind of pull out a, we can learn something from this and we're, we're kind of moving into you know a holiday and some time off and so we can kind of mm-hmm. regroup and figure it out so I was unhappy. And I, I felt like I had some tools to manage that and figure out what I wanted to do. And I didn't think I was going to retire from this company. I mean, that would have been nice, but I didn't really think that that yeah. was the plan just because that's not, that's, that's kind of didn't feel authentic to my yeah. journey, but I also wasn't looking to, I mean, I wasn't looking to walk out the door uh, <laughs> either, you know, so yeah. now look, it all, it happened and it was not being at that company is right it is cosmically right. It is professionally right. It is spiritually right. But who, boy, I mean, just kick a guy on the way out the door, people. Like, come on. But yeah, I just, I, then I went back into the studio and started recording my podcast. Oh my God. Oh my God. You have to rally. Well, there's so much there that you're talking about that I, that I think is so powerful. And I really appreciate your vulnerability of sharing that because I, I do think that, you know, we see, something I've written about and we've talked about, it's like, I do think that for most people, when we are an employee, we, it is our worst fear, right? It's about our fear of disconnection. It's also about our fear of not being enough, our fear of failure. There's a lot of things that go into like the fact that we can all connect the dots from A to Z that are like, A, I'm doing a good job. I'm thriving here. Everything's great to Z. They don't want me anymore. I'm rejected, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it's a lot like a personal relationship where we fall in love and then are, we fear that we're, that the love's going to end, you know, because it, yes. especially it feels so good. But something that I'm struck with, I'm really struck with what you said about the dehumanizing words that they use. And like, cause I hear that being played mm-hmm. back often when, you know, clients have done layoffs. But the other thing I hear that's so interesting is I see the HR professionals and the senior leaders often working so hard to carefully script and actually orchestrate the layoff, which it sounds like happened to you as well, where like your boss happened first, you know, there's this whole careful process that like legally and compliance reasons we do it that way. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's a story that happens in those people's mind. I know that they're good people often like trying to do a good job too, that somehow that will lessen the blow or that if they just are super neutral, it will make mm-hmm. it feel less dehumanizing. But I think like we, your story just reminds me like, hell no, like it's mm-hmm. not going to be dehumanizing if you have it care. It's not going to be more humanizing if you have it carefully choreographed such that you say the words that you've planned. What's going to be humanizing is that you actually see that human and you yeah. treat them uniquely based on what's happening with them and what their story is and with some care and compassion for what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I, right. I just find that it's your story is very typical, I think, but it's also sad because I know yeah. the effort that really went into that layoff. And it's like, wow, if you put the effort, if you put one tenth of that effort into a graceful way to reduce your workforce, you might have really had some people like you that would tell a positive story about that company still. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and we all have to be in the same industry together regardless, mm-hmm. right? We all we have to just be in the same world together, right? So you don't... It, what you put out in the world will eventually come back. And so it's it's always right. better to defer on the side of being thoughtful, being careful, you know, honoring someone's you know, dignity, honoring the contribution they made, having those conversations, yes. even even if the even if the, the termination for one reason or another is required. You cannot yes. get around it. This has to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, there's a human being being impacted. But it's like there's a human being losing their job. You know, like, I feel like sometimes in these, like, oh, there's a, so many layoffs. Like, that's such a fluffy word for how big of a deal the thing is. That <laughs> it makes it sound like a lay yeah. down. Yeah. Like, it's not a lay down. Like, oh, you're welcome. It's so sweet. Everybody's got to do it. I'm like, no, that's somebody's job. And they might not know that that's happening that day. And that's rude. Like, yeah. 
that's not kind and that like that makes that night at dinner really really scary very scary and it's a weird thing it's uh i mean and and anybody my story is so typical no you're exactly right it's very typical and in may just to think about you know put yourself in the shoes of somebody who have to who has to have that conversation maybe if they have the conversation with their partner maybe it's just with themselves maybe they're going home Right, they're saying, so oh, "How am I gonna? How am I, how is this gonna happen? How am I gonna make this work? How am I gonna how am I gonna figure this out?" And like, there's some crazy stat: like, eighty percent of America doesn't have a thousand dollars in savings. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, getting a layoff is not just oh, you don't get to do this work here anymore. Yeah. It's no. that like your partner who just got diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. you don't have insurance anymore, mm-hmm. and also you don't have any savings right right. so like the fear of what is happening plus what i'm hearing from you is like the buzz of like weirdness before is like you might not know what that buzz is but like human beings can smell a rat yes yes something's weird and things are not cool and your internal jets are not like we should chill yeah (laughs) that's right they're like no yeah we're freaking out yeah yes which is like you want to get good work from people like Turn the fire up and see if they get real comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, see what happens with that anxiety. No, I think That's it's so cool. true. It, yeah, it's so stressful. And I was also thinking about this other piece you named, which is that like, even though you felt the heat, right? And you were like, huh, this is all weird. This is hard. Things aren't good. You had this like optimistic paradigm in your mind. Like, here's some things I can do to make it work. And I, I'm struck with some synchronicity. My husband also lost his job last year. I don't know that it would be called a layoff, but it was just definitely, you know, definitely he lost his job. Um, but he, the hardest part for him, one of the hardest parts, in addition to the identity hit, which I think you're speaking to that vacuous emptiness. The other part was like, I've been working on all these projects for years and now I don't have them anymore. Like the things that I'm actually working on, I now have a blank slate in front yeah. of me, um, mm-hmm. which I think is just really, really disruptive, especially when it's when it feels like this sort of mechanistic piece. So I'm curious for you what you said that, you know, it's good that it happened ultimately because you, you, you have you're glad that you're not working there anymore. You know, that d- disruption no longer is persisting. So, you know, what is happening for you? Like what's what's on the back end? of this for you in terms of what you're doing these days, how you're feeling about it? Yeah, I probably, so again, getting back to the whole thoughtful thing from the top of the the, the conversation, I was not as thoughtful as I probably should have been um, (laughs) uh, after, after, after being laid off uh, because I immediately went uh, to work. I immediately went and, you know, re-ramped up my own consulting business, the podcast. I built a course um, I did a number of things. I started doing some coaching again with with uh, leaders in conjunction with this course, but that took a lot of time and effort to stand up, as I'm sure the two of you, un- yes. you know, certainly certainly understand. And now, what I should have done was take some time off, like truly yeah. take some time off and really mm-hmm. sit through. You know, I my wife and I had um, had a wedding at, at a our tenure wedding anniversary shortly after I got laid off. And Aww. so we had a trip already planned. So we went on the trip and we had a great time and it was wonderful. And so I did get a little bit of vacation, but I really should have taken some real serious time off to kind of get recentered and put together a plan and really sort of be thoughtful and moving forward. I did not do that. What I did was mm-hmm. throw myself fully into into TWC Group, which is my consulting firm and uh, the, my project manager masterclass, which trains project leaders um, and some coaching and some consulting. Now, look, now with the benefit of hindsight, it's great, man. <laughs> it's really great. I, the pot, I, I've been having a lot of fun with the podcast and I, I am enjoying consulting and I really love this core. It's just I I really believe so much in this course that I'm putting out there and in the, the coaching, a little bit of coaching that I've been doing with, with new leaders. And I feel like I'm doing something that not only has value, but really is, is an expression of, of what I bring to the table of mm. my sort of gifts and, and what I, you know, it is, it is an alignment of my values and talents, which doesn't, hasn't come along very often in my career mm. to be, to mm. be completely candid. And so it was, this is another thing where let look look back and think, eh, there's a better way to have done that. So, and when I coach people, if I coach someone who has just been laid off or 
have a conversation. I said, you know, it's okay to relax. It's okay to, you know, to like to, or, or to do, you know, to, to get out this angst, to kind of expel this energy that you have, you know, don't necessarily do what I did and just find a new way to use that energy in a structured environment, you know, take some time off and and do something. But, uh, but I mean, ultimately it was, it was constructive, but I think that again, getting back to the, the autopilot idea, I mean, right. It's you, if you have a structured job, you get up at a certain time, you sit down at your desk, you do work, you do a certain amount of work. There's a certain amount of energy expelled through that. You, you know, you, there's a, there's a routine. There's a, this, despite our best efforts, human beings are, we're wonderful routine machines, stasis machines. And it's good. A transition is good because it helps you break that cycle. And if you don't, then you can just exhaust yourself trying to do the next thing, which I, I got close to doing. And I but thankfully have a very, very thoughtful partner who was like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Uh, you need, uh, I'm basically going to forbid you from working and you, uh, here's the couch and here's a sandwich and you, or go on a silent retreat. Just don't be in your office. Uh, hibernating. Yeah. So I, I needed, I needed a partner to help me out with that. Sounds like you and your partner might have been living in the same house as me and my partner. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just like it. But because I think, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is so powerful, though, in terms of like this mantra that we have about kind of like what we do, like sort of the house of work and how I think it's actually quite difficult to do what you're suggesting. I've had, I'm, I'm of an age now where a lot of my friends are retiring. And mm. um, one of my friends retired uh, about three years ago ahead of his wife. His wife's my age. So, so she's behind him by five or six years. And he lasted, he, he took time off. I had actually recommended, I was like, take, you know, take some time off. He wanted to get another job, but not in the same industry. And, and he really did. And he took about six weeks off. It just about killed him, you know, and then he went back to work doing something different. But I think it's very hard. It may, you and I've talked about this in terms of like maternity leave, you know, cause that's another time in our lives. I think where we kind of get off the treadmill of the house of work. And it's, um, it's quite challenging to do that. Well, I think so. Well, there's so yeah. much, the thing that I'm, I'm kind of hearing to is this productivity, like yeah. attached to your worth, mm-hmm. which like, I want to go back to this, like dehumanizing layoff situation. And that like, we can't ask people to work, 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 put their whole identity into it, like be there all the way, show up with your best self, be the biggest, best animal ever for our <laughs> purpose. Mm-hmm. And then lay them off like you didn't ask them to do that. Right. Yeah. No, because it's like you fed me the Mm Kool-Aid that says productivity is my worth. And now you're going to take it away and then you're going to blame me for being weird about it. Right. And in reality, it's like, wait, I was just (laughs) what? Yeah. So it makes sense to me that it's very hard to take time off because you're you're like, okay, um, but now what do I do? The first instinct is not, oh, good. I should relax. You're like, I'm in the freaking jungle. Yeah. I should not relax at all. I, I hear you and I get mm-hmm. it. It makes it makes me sad because I don't, I don't know, I don't want it to be like that, but I know it is. I think too, and this is something that I, when I talk to leaders, it's something that I'm more careful of than I think I was in the past where I believe you want to create that, that in order for people to thrive, you need to create positive cultures. You need to create a positive work environment. You need to, you need to, you need to remove fear from the, uh, from the place. And that will, that will help people out obviously. And that's what makes good leaders, but it's, it's a very, may you really nailed on, you really hit it because you're creating this environment where you're trying to drive work, productivity and purpose. And you're trying to combine all those things and if you're a human being and you're doing it well, then you can't help but assign. You can't help but have that relationship with your own identity and the productivity and the connectivity between your team and the feedback between you and your leader. It's all the piece. We're human beings. We're social creatures, and so that's why. That's why layoffs are one of the things that make me so angry. And another reason why I, I, I pivoted and do what I do, because I really I'm testing a theory that if we create better new leaders, then we'll have better experienced leaders. And if we have better experienced leaders, we will not have layoffs as as a as an end result of, frankly, significant mistakes in the leadership world. Right. There'd be more to me to your point. Be treating, if you think of your people as people, then 
you're far more mindful about how you manage your, your business so that you avoid this in the, in the future, but we'll see. But I, you know, maybe you're 100% right. And so even if you're in a job that you don't particularly like, it's still a place for you to be. Yeah, it's still, right. and, they, and they, they demand that you're there and put yourself yeah. into it. So even if you don't love it, you're like, well, but no one else can do this thing that I do. It's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird tension. It's a weird tension for people. Well, it is. And something you're both touching on that I think is powerful is this idea that like we're complicit with the workplace's desire for high productivity when we're not laid off. But when we get laid off, we're not part of the secret. We're like work, 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 work. We're all going for the common good. Then all of a sudden, like you're going like, you know, like they said to you, you're going to the common good. And I'm kind of just now stopped of doing that, which I think is really different than like a longer tail. Even if you had to do a layoff or if somebody had to around, here's what's real. Here's why this isn't going to work out between us. Here's the ramp we have so that we have time for you to build something new. Because one of the things I wonder. And it's like a sociological question, I think maybe for me more than it is even like a here and now question, because I, I go back to sort of like almost archaeology. Like I believe we are hardwired to work. And I think of people Mm. I've met in other cultures, like in rural Indonesia, I got to visit my son there one time or rural Uganda. We have a client in Uganda, Rwanda and talking to people who, you know, are making very little money in their jobs. But even when their jobs go away, oftentimes the work is seasonal. They are, they work really, really hard in those Mm in-between seasons because that's what they do. Like, and they, if they don't have something to do, like I remember in Indonesia, because of the, the way the economy was going, there were actually more jobs for women than they were for men. So they had a lot Mm -hmm. of trouble with depression and anxiety in the men in the community. And so one of the really important things that they did together as a community was to find ways to put people to work, even though they weren't getting paid because they're like, we want to contribute to something. We want to be busy, you know, doing something. So I think that there's just a way to allocate that energy that isn't this soul sucking uh, expense for the sake of the company or the organization, you know, that ends up then letting you go inhumanely. It's got, it's just a better way. You know, I'm totally with you. There's a better way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The letting go part too. It's like, you get to be part of this mission. You get to be part of it. Oh, you don't get to be part of it anymore. Yeah. Like that's so hard regardless of like the mission, you know, just like direct cutoff. Like I went to junior high, I got broken up like that and it freaking sucks. In like 10 minutes, right? It's like, it takes like, it's for one minute you're, you're just, you're preparing for whatever your day is. (laughs) And the next minute you're just going home. And it's right now. And you've not, and you have nowhere else to be 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. You're just, yeah, just you've got nowhere to be. Mm-hmm. So wild. Uh, on this topic of leaders being better leaders, will you tell us more about this um, F. Scott Fitzgerald book? Yeah. I did some looking actually for everybody who's listening. For everybody who's listening, there is a book that F. Scott Fitzgerald didn't finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know this. I had to look it up. I had to do all, all the work around this, but you should check it out. Um, and it's called The Love of the Last Tycoon. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so go forth. And Chris has a very specific thought about this. Yeah. So I, so as part of my podcast, I created the Monday Pod Managers Book Club and it's one book a month and it's a, it's a, it's always fiction. And uh, it's because it, I, I choose books with the belief that fiction helps us become more empathetic mm. because it allows you to, you can, it, it, in a couple of ways, you, you can sort of get into the skin of somebody that you are not and that you are very much not. Um, the very first book in the, in the Manager's Book Club was uh, the, the the protagonist, uh, first person protagonist was a Chinese American young woman. You know, most American leaders are not Chinese American young women. And so it's like, look, get into the skin of somebody that you aren't. It'll help you build empathy. You get a different perspective. But The Last Tycoon um, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So he, to your point, he, he died while he was writing it. Um, he was living in L.A., he was living uh, with a screenwriter, and uh, this was his last book. And he was broke, and but he still had this uncanny understanding of the United States, and this uncanny understanding of the power brokers and the the machinations and the culture that 
that fuels it. And he is unsparing in looking at the disparity between between like the gilded class and everyone beneath them and really talking about the moral disparity of upper classes, of leaders, like we were talking about, mm-hmm. of leaders who, who treat their people in a certain way. And so I, I picked The Last Tycoon as a, um, and it was interesting. I actually, I picked The Last Tycoon there's two versions of it. There's one that you can get that's called The Last Tycoon that is actually his unfinished manuscript, which is the one that I bought. And so it just ends. Mm-hmm. You're reading, it's like 140 pages into it and the book just ends. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> but the whoa, love of The Last Tycoon, yeah. Great, right. <laughs> and, and you get you, so you get all those notes and you have to kind of piece it together. But The Love of the Last Tycoon is actually the book that was published in 1941 that was finished, his editor finished it for him. Um, with his notes, uh, so you you do you do end up you, you do discover how it ends, and it's this you know we're we're talking about leaders right so the protagonist it takes place in the 30s it's in L A it's an, it's a Hollywood story, what I think is so incredible about this book about this writing is that it is not the 1930s we do not work in Hollywood we don't uh, interact with any of these people you know. I, not, none of us live in LA. All of the things that the book is about, you cannot necessarily draw a direct line between your sort of lived experience, but you can draw an obvious direct line between business culture today and business culture of the 30s. Not enough has changed. And so you have... Yes. Can we just pause there for a moment? (laughs) Underline, (laughs) underline, exclamation point. (laughs) Not enough has changed. Well, hello, listener. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Make Work Human. If you're inspired by Chris Thierfelder's message of retooling how we lead and how we work, head on over to www.momentum.com, that's M-O-E-M-E-N-T-U-M.com or mocaric.com to join our weekly show up newsletter, chock full of inspiration, tips, and tools just for you. If you're ready to invest in your own leadership journey or the leadership skills of your team, check out the Leading People Program we offer at www.leadingpeopleprogram.com. We are on a mission to prevent more people from having to have an experience like Chris did. There are ways to lead with more grace, even during something tough like job elimination. If you want to learn more, email us at info at and we'll talk. You can look at this, again, moral disparity, how leaders treat their underlings, how men treat women, how industries treat um, whole swaths of people, the impact Mm. of, frankly, just rampant capitalism, the impact of inherited wealth, jealousy and pettiness and literally this, this, the main character spoiler alert for a book that's uh was written in, was written in 1940 the the uh the, the main character is a guy named monroe star uh the narrator is um is a young woman who is the daughter of monroe star's boss so she is kind of watching this with this jaundiced eye she's a college student and she's kind of looking at at everything happening in her father's orbit and yeah. You watch these executives, I mean, quite fundamentally end up quite literally killing themselves, um, not on purpose, but just like working themselves to a point where they expire to try and create these edifices of productivity so they can beat out the next person. And and it's their tragic story. It's a tragic story. But I think that's what F. Scott Fitzgerald does so well is because it's a beautifully rendered story with real people and, and, and rounded out characters. And you can't help but feel pity for these wealthy people and these, these productive people. And so when I, when I suggested it for my, my listeners, it was, it was, and this was something that I, I'm going to be talking about when I go over it, is that we have a really hard time in this country understanding who the villain is of these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if, if you remember Wall Street from the 80s, Gordon Gecko, uh, Gordon Gecko was the villain of that movie. And too many young men have gone up to Michael Douglas in the years since and said, boy, you really, you really inspired me to get into business. And he's like, why? I was the bad guy. I went to jail. 
spoiler alert for Wall Street, which was in, from 1986, he goes to jail in the end. Um, so, but so this this book, The Last Tycoon, you're looking at this quote unquote hero, this protagonist. He's a tragic character. He gives his entire self over to this to the business, to the industry, to striving to become this this tycoon. Uh, he steps on everybody. His wife passes on. He uses that trauma to fuel even more bad behavior, and then he dies. Like right. it's it's it so is a bad. sad book, but it's a it's a but again, it's um, it's yeah. almost too relevant. It's yeah. it's too relevant. It's irritatingly relevant. Well, so much there because one of the things that struck me, and I haven't thought about this before, but I I love the connection that you're kind of underlining for me. And I'm a huge fan of F. Scott Fitzgerald. Right, he was by far one of the most evocative writers of our of our time, really. Um, and he was traumatized by the Great Depression. And I think about a lot of the growth of Wall Street and our sort of profit as the North Star oriented culture since then is largely in reactivity of the trauma of an entire generation um, mm -hmm. of around not having enough, not having enough food to eat, you know, experiencing the Dust Bowl, all of that. So like how powerful is that around the stories we tell ourselves about scarcity and abundance, you know, that they're not opposite, like the opposite of scarcity is enough, not having mm -hmm. excess but right. I'm also stuck with something you said that I want to go way back because I just had this idea, like a random mm -hmm. idea that I'll share it with you too. But I love, love, love what you said, Chris, about fiction. And I love what you did in the podcast around having your listeners like read fiction. I'm a huge fan of fiction. I dreamed when I was a little girl that I would write fiction. And now I wrote, mm -hmm. I write business books, which is sort of one of my <laughs> personal great disappointments, you know, but I'm also reminded of one of a really good tech, TED Talk, which we'll put in the show notes. Catherine Center is a, a, a modern day novelist um, who gave a talk in my town. I was actually her coach on a TED stage called Why Boys Should Read Fiction About Girls. And oh, it's cool. speaking to exactly what you're saying, which is that fiction allows us to feel empathy for people that we wouldn't meet. You know, and mm -hmm. I just think that you really named it in what you're talking about around that book, around the way that we can get our feelings, our emotional connection around the feelings that we can connect with to someone who is who is so very different than us. And that's all that's what fiction completely does for me, which is why I just read it all the time. I just love it. Yeah. And I, I think that actually it's not as common. I've noticed in my own relationships, my brother, my first husband, my current husband, my my sons don't read as much fiction as the women that are in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think Catherine really spoke to that around what the data tells us about how men are encouraged or not encouraged to read fiction or to even write fiction or be part of that. So there's something there, I think, around emotional intelligence and how much room we give men to be in the experience of, of fullness um, emotionally. And we've got a lot of work to do there, don't we? So Absolutely that's right. a factor too around toxic culture. The piece that really got me was that it's really hard to find the villain. I feel like that is the conversation that you and I have all the time, Mo, actually, yeah. about whether or not to talk about the system or the people, and that we come up sometimes on the side of, like, you got to talk about both because they have to exist for the other people to exist, mm -hmm. but that it actually would be much easier if one of them was the villain, right? If it was, like, the people here suck. Yeah. Like, great. That would be so much easier. <laughs> like, let's get new people. It was, like, the system blows build a new system but that neither of those things are really true usually usually it's much more nuanced and the minutiae of it is you know they build each other it's like does art mirror life or life mirror art right it's like i don't know i don't know so the trying to find the villain it reminds me of things like succession you know it would be so right. easy to just hate the rupert murdoch character but in the end you're like oh, i kind of feel some empathy for how shallow that life must feel it's like what is the what is the actual bummer part of it? Maddening, but also the fact that this book is is filled with people that you wouldn't necessarily connect with or know is very interesting. But in reality, then you could get what I'm hearing from you is that in the end you could see yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Really situation, which is even more horrifying. It like, is. oh no, I'm driving down the same road. Or you see, right. you see the system that you're yeah. in. Your, your point about yeah. systems, May, is 100% right. It's you see this it is a cycle. It is a cycle of, of people repeating the same bad behavior over and over again and coming to the exact same conclusion. 
-hmm. And then the next generation of people repeat that round of behavior, right? And so again, but to to Mo's point about building emotional intelligence, being able to kind of step back and a little step a little bit about yourself and be able to sort of take that in and and really process that and work with that is is, is so so important for, for anybody really, but for certainly for leaders. Totally. Here's my next question on the topic of leadership is, are you in the camp that believes that leadership is a skill or are you born with it? I am 100% in the camp that leadership is not only a skill, it is a craft. Well, It is a thing that you can learn and is a thing that you can build a practice around and it is a thing that you can get better at. I do not believe that people are born leaders. I don't, I don't believe in it. I believe that some people might be born with a better propensity toward making connections with other people or maybe are more charismatic or have sort of bring some things at the table that we might associate with leadership. But true, honest to goodness, good leadership, that is something that you need to learn and you have to work at and you need help and you need mentorship and you need practice and you need to make mistakes and you need to you need to build it as a craft, as something wow. that you do. 100%. 100%. Wow. Unequivocal. Love that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, like what, this is not on the script. I'm just going off the rails now, but like, Go. what is the opposite of a good leader? What is the opposite of good leader? Oh, that's a great yeah, question. Um, I think that it's, again, it's someone that is, it can be very tricky to pick out a what I would consider to be a bad leader because there are a lot of bad leaders who are very successful in the world. Oh, um, that's so annoying to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very irritating. And there are, I, I would say that thoughtless leadership, basically leaders that simply they're, they believe their job. And I, I basically, I have been told this by, by leaders that I have interacted with. They believe that, look, your job is just to, it's really just to enact the procedures of the company of the organization you're in, your, your jo- which, which fundamentally, what does it mean? It means that the belief that as a leader, your job is just to perpetuate the system, to uphold the system, make sure the system is running smoothly, use the system, use the process, keep doing that over and over and over again, and you indeed will be successful. Now, they're not wrong. If you do that, you're more than likely, you will be successful in that system. <laughs> yeah. But that's not good leadership. That's not creating an environment where your people thrive. That's not uh, that's not helping people, you know, achieve their highest and best version of themselves. That's just perpetuating the same thing over and over and over again because it's safe and you don't have to think about it. And it's the risk is low. And if you everyone just sort of does ask people to give not even 80%, 40% of themselves to just sort of grind away, then the, the the train keeps going. And I think that's bad leadership. I think it's rewarded leadership and I think people really like it, but it's bad leadership. Whoa, isn't that wild that like the opposite of good leadership sometimes is the most rewarded of leadership. So it's actually kind of, that's kind of a double bind. It's kind of a freaky thing. Yeah. But I love this. I had to write it down that thoughtless leadership is actually the opposite of good leadership. So right. Plus like you're speaking to my millennial soul. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like all about it. That's true. Okay. Well, the next question is interesting. What is your one hot tip that you would tell workers looking for their next best job? One hot tip. Uh, your next best job is is going to come from your network. Your what? Next, your next best job is going to come from your network. It's not going to come online. It's not, you will not. More than your next best job, use the word best. If you need to jump into a life raft and something comes across your, you know, if you're, if you're flailing around in the ocean and a life raft comes by and you need to get in that life raft, take that job. Don't hold out for something that is your best. Just it, be practical. We all still live to live in the world. It's 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 not great, but it's just the way it is. But your next best job is going to come from your network. Okay. The first thing to do. So I guess my one hot tip: spend the time to figure out what it is you really want to do. Truly, and don't mince words, and don't edit yourself, and don't. I mean, Mo, you said it at the beginning. 
We spend so much time at work and people want to work. They want to be productive. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a human thing to put something good into the world that other that benefits other people. And that is a thing that we call work. So spend the time to come up with the thing that you want to do and don't, I'm just about to say, don't edit it, don't varnish it, don't come up with something that you think people want to hear, don't come up with an easy thing, oh, I used to manage projects, I want to be a project manager. No, you don't. You you want to do, you, there's something that's calling out for you, inside of you, that you you want to do as a vocation. Tell your network that. Mm. Tell your network that. The people in your network want you to succeed, I I absolutely promise you, not everyone will be able to help you, but someone is going to put you in touch with the person who is going to get you there. So I will tell you everything that I, and it's, it's, you know, better late than never to figure this out, but I've only figured it out recently that my network is awesome. It's filled with awesome people. They care about me. They care that I am not not like successful in that kind of really tacky way, but like successful that I'm fulfilled. People are like, you know what? I, I, you know, you, you get some passion around it and people can feel that. And they're like, I'm going to introduce you to this person over here because you just need to know that person. You know, it's so that is how your next best job is going to come. Figure out what you want to do and then tell everybody about it. And it, it will come. Honestly, it will come. Don't go on. Don't look on LinkedIn. That's a, that's a wasteland. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> And I love that. And it's interesting. And and of course, I'm biased here because I wrote a book about this, right? So Cammie Dunaway's and my first book, Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job, is all about exactly what you're saying. What I love that you said, and it really underlines what our research points to, is that it actually is a lot of work and energy to figure Mm -hmm. out what it is that feeds you in terms of the work that gives you purpose, the work that you feel is aligned with your skills, the work that helps you make your work-life integration work, all of that, it requires quite a bit of exploration, which I think early in our careers, we don't have, which is why I often say to young people, take a job, any job, take a job, you're going to figure out what you hate about it. Right. Then you're like, not that, that's not what I, that's not what I want to do. Like, then I'm going to try to find, and and I'm saying that partly because I think sometimes, and May, you've actually been a helpful co-learner for me about this. I think for young people, and I see this even in my own children, there's a lot of stress with the like, you can be anything you want sort of idea, because I think it puts this pressure on like, I should, you know, and and I'm not actually a believer so much. And this is not what you're saying, Chris, but I'm not a huge believer in following your passion. Because like, if I followed my passion, I'd be like an elephant wrangler, beekeeper, rock and roll band singer. You know what I mean? Like and I, all of which I sort of suck at, but I do think that there's something to like invest the time and energy to figure out what is innate in you that you're good at, what lights your heart on fire, what gives you a bigger meaning in the world, which takes some time, like years to think about, to talk about and to progress forward. And don't feel badly if you take some jobs that are like, eh, you know, I learned that that's not what I want to do. So I love that. And then, yeah. and then the leveraging your network. Uh, absolutely. That is how we find the work. It's how we find the clients mm-hmm. um, is through the people who are willing to say, I got you. You need to talk to this person. Yeah, you exactly. Know? I mean, absolutely. we are, you are part of a community, you person, yes. you whole person, you are part of a community. That community has, has, it's going to, you have to let it though. You have to let it embrace you. You have to let your community help you. They will. They really, really will. But the first thing they're going to ask you is, what do you want to do? <laughs> and, and they're going to help you. It, let's see, you know, once you, once you give it to them. Okay. Wait, people though, hold on. Having a network is like very luxurious, actually, like a large network that's helpful. So talk, talk to the people who sure. don't have a very large network and who are working on it, but their network actually doesn't extend to the place that they're looking for. Start well, where you I, are. Start Go where ahead. you are, but also I, w- I hear you, May, and I think, I think it's interesting hear you, hearing you say that given some of our age difference, right? Because, I, because it's powerful to think about, and I've talked with some of my own kids about this, the number of people that they have in their social media network mm. is not the same as their community. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you're saying is like, I may have a lot of people that follow me or that I'm on the Insta with, but I may not have an actual network of people that I think could help me like pursue the work that's meaningful for me. And I think that that's, that that's really a good, 
differentiation. But I also think that it only takes one you know, it does, I don't think it has to be a large network. And I say that particularly for the introverts who maybe don't feel like they have a big, robust social network. I, I, as an example, I'm not, I'm at a social event, I'm at a conference this week, and I'm a little bit stressed out by the meetings that I have to go to because I have to talk to people. You know, I'm not very good at networking. But I think what I would say is like, it's the, it's being willing to talk truth to the people that you do know. Right. Your friends, the parents of your friends, your colleagues, your doctor, you know, the person you buy tickets from, about being curious about what they're doing, letting them know, as you said, I think, Chris, really well, like letting them know what you are needing, mm-hmm. you know, in case anybody's thinking about it, which I know for me, we've been joking about it, May, even in, with Momentum, because I think I said in a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago to my team, like, I've not asked any of my close friends to participate in our programs that we sell. I'm like, why not? Like, I'm very proud of the programs that we sell, and I would love for my friends to be in them, but I don't always even think to ask them because I somehow think that that, that I shouldn't be crossing the line of friends to work. But I think what you're parting to say, what you're saying, Chris, a bit is like that is your community, is your friend and your social community, whether it's five people or 500 people, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. The people in your community, no matter how big they are, they care about you. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pebble dropped in a pond. It's you are the pebble and every ripple ripples out from there. And so if, it, if, you're, if your quote unquote network or your community is five close people that care about you, talk to five close people that care about you. And yeah. hey, but here's the thing. Each one of them may have one person. So now there's a, now you have 10 people that you can talk to that will, you can make an introduction for you. There's another piece to it too that is, I don't think people really do this very much anymore. It's a little old school, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I'll use myself as an example. I was in my early 20s and I was at a company and I was really, really miserable. And I had this idea that I wanted to get into this field um, that was kind of new and kind of weird. It was called competitive intelligence. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anybody in it. I didn't like there wasn't it wasn't a there wasn't a I couldn't go to a conference or anything. I didn't have any money. But there were two individuals who wrote books about it and they were authors. And so I found how to get in touch with them, not unlike how I found how to get in touch with Mo. And uh, reached out to them and both of them took me to lunch um, and taught me. And I basically said, I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm who I am and I don't know anything. I find this so interesting. Would you spend a little time with me? And I happened to be in the city where one was doing a reading and he was like, let me buy, and we were in Philadelphia. He says, let me buy a cheesesteak and I'll fill you all, I'll fill you in and I can, you know, kind of put you on. Now I didn't actually end up getting a job in that, but I use that conversation to actually guide my career yeah. and get in touch with other people. So, you know, people love talking about themselves. <laughs> um, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Uh, so ask. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing bad can happen from asking. And it's That's hard. how I got this out, Chris. Exactly yeah. like that. Well, and it's hard. It's hard to ask. And also, yes. May, I think your example of working for and with me is that you, you did not and I want our listeners to hear this. You did not only have to ask once, right? Because oh, at the yeah. time you were ready to offer the skills you had to me, I was not ready to avail myself of them. And it took a lot of continuing to show up, to notice the work I was doing, to talk about it, to share what you were doing. And and over a period of, I don't know, how long was it? A year? Before like it was like, whoa, now there's synchronicity. Now, now I'm picking up what you're putting down. Because now I have a need. And I think that that is how hiring happens. I think yes. that people people don't always have a need. But if they know you, then they have a need. Then they're like, you know who just came to mind? Yeah. This person that's been talking to me for a long time in my community. I think one of the best emails that for what we're talking about right here to get, just for anyone who's in the same place in their career that I'm in, um, which is like, like middle new. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say medium new is to get an email that says, I don't know if you do this, but yes, which is exactly the email that Mo sent me. Mm-hmm. That was like, I have this list of things that need to get done. How many things on the list can you do? Right. Um, the lesson I learned from that one was that I said, I can do everything on the list, which was a dirty lie. But <laughs> I tried my best because I knew I could do it. But if I could go back out, I think I would be a little bit more honest about to what capacity I could do those things. And I would trust that the other person, that that's okay. Right. You know, I didn't know that at the time. But I think that getting an email that says, do you know how to do this thing 
is like probably the best ticket that you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, and also you had that it's figure outable mindset. And I think for me, that's rung true as well in any job I've taken, which is like, we when we get a job of any kind, or we, even when we take on a new task, if we're an entrepreneur or speaking for myself, but I think that there's this idea of like really beginning to value our capacity to learn more than our capacity to know. Like, no, I don't actually know how to do that, but I can learn how to do that. And also I would just underline, I mean, even this conversation, thinking about the experience you've been through, Chris, around the layoff and I'm just really struck with it's the bad jobs, it's the layoffs that help us know really we want to do next that energizes us, you know, and I I just feel that in my bones. It's like when I think back on how at my age, how I got to where I am in my career progression, it's because I had some jobs that I really would not want to do again. (laughs) You know, it's allowed me to make different choices. And um, but there's some suffering it comes from that. And I think that's something I find myself talking sometimes to, to employees, but also sometimes to leaders in systems. It's like, I think for leaders, you don't, I don't think you have to make every employee succeed at your company. It's not your job to do. If you have an employee who joins your organization and over time you or they start to feel like, you know what, this isn't really right. Like this doesn't right. seem to activate you. It doesn't seem like you're that productive for us. It's, it's okay to emancipate each other. Yes. You know, instead of like, I'm going to keep you on forever and ever, or for the employee to be like, I'll stay with you until I find something better. It's like, well, maybe not. Maybe that's not what's best, you know, because we only get this one life. Are you familiar, either of you familiar with the Netflix deck, the Netflix personnel deck? No, I don't think I've seen that. You can find it. You can find it online. It was written by, written by Patty McCord, um, who was the first chief people officer on Netflix. And she wrote this thing and it became a relative, I mean, it's free, it's out there. Um, and she talks about this and that that culture there when she was running it was very much about if someone isn't a fit, then we will help them transition to their next opportunity with dignity and integrity and we will mm-hmm. do it in the right way and we will basically care for the whole person because if they're going to be a right fit for someone, if they're not a right fit, fit for Netflix, that's okay. They have to be here to figure it out. You can't right. tell in an totally. interview, right? But you got to be here to figure it out. And so we are going, you know, we, we took the, we took a chance in this person. We invested in this person. They invested in us. We owe them the dignified transition into a different career. We're going to, you know, write a, a nice review. We're going to show them what opportunities there are. We're going to, and that, I mean, I don't know of anyone else who really walks the walk on that, but I, that the deck, and then she wrote a book called Powerful, which I highly recommend. It, it really talks about how to lead, how to manage people in this way, Mo, that you're, that you're talking about, that this, these are, these are people and it's okay to part ways, but you have to do it in the right way as well. And by the way, to your point, but parting of ways, you would never, it's like you, you, you have to have this experience. You, you can't not have the experience of suffering to get to the thing that you, you want to get to ultimately. Totally. Which, you know, we, Angela Duckworth and others call, call grit. Right, it's going to the hard thing that helps us find the joy of the thing that's not hard. And I, I think what we're all sort of in agreement with is this idea that it can be more transparent. It can yes. be more, so much more open and so much more upright. Um, and I, I'm noticing right now that in this meta environment that we're in, we have certain professions who have experienced and are still experiencing just such an undue amount of stress. In particular, let's say healthcare for providers, educators. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wanting, I noticed myself wanting the senior leaders in those systems to have more frank conversations so that the physicians, for example, who are saying, I'm thinking of leaving medicine. You know, I got my medical degree and I've been a, a doctor for 10 years. Now I'm thinking of leaving. They're 42. It's like, if all the doctors that are 42 leave medicine, who's going to take care of us? Right. right. So what are the conversations that happens that say, what would be a way that you could practice medicine that you trained so long and hard for that would actually enliven you, that would help you to feel like you're thriving for a while longer because actually we really need you. And, and, you know, because I think that if those people could have an opportunity to really talk about that, there are solutions that would, mm-hmm. that would manifest, but instead that's not what happens. They leave, they do something else. And then that burdens the rest of the providers in those networks with more work right. that is untenable. So 
there's a lot of places where I think this transparency we're talking about could be so, so much more healthy. If only Absolutely. we were in charge, you guys, right? Oh, dear. We are in charge. Oh. We are in charge. When are we signing up for that? <laughs> we are in charge. There's this great uh, thing out there on the internet about like all these canaries are dying. And instead of asking why the canaries are dying, we just ask for more resilient canaries. And it's uh, like, yes. let's not do that. You know, <laughs> like let's, Let's not do that. But anyway, speaking of networks and speaking of work and leadership, Chris, we have a very great network mm -hmm. that listens to this podcast, including my very cool mom. Um, but how can they support you? How can they support your work? And will you be as specific as possible? Yeah, you can uh, listen to my podcast. Uh, you can you can find me. It's called The Case of the Mondays. You can find me on any podcast network. If you're having trouble finding me, go to mondaypond.com. Uh, and you can listen right on your, your web browser or you can click through your favorite podcast app so you can listen to me there. You can go to twc.group. That's twc.group. Uh, that is my consulting firm and you can find where to get my courses. You can find where to sign up with me for coaching. Uh, you can uh, read whatever... A ridiculous thing I'm thinking about uh, on my on my blog, uh, but really it's my my focus now is uh, through through developing courses for for uh, candidly May for middle new leaders uh, just like yourself. I really mm -hmm. just believe in uh, in 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 everyone in your current pocket that we need to uh, we need to give you guys way more tools and way more training. And I think so many leaders learn leadership by being uh, the employee of somebody who is not a good leader and then just doing what that yes. person did. So again, so uh, project management masterclass, I'm focusing on project managers right now. Uh, I've got a course coming out called uh, The Accidental Profession, which is for new project managers, and then eventually uh, Zen in the Art of Middle Management, so for a uh, little more experienced leaders. But yeah, mm -hmm. mondaypod.com, twc.group, that's where you can find me. You can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Instagram, all those good things. I have a, an opinion and I like to share it. So you awesome. please follow well, we'll along. All, yeah, and we'll put all those links in the um, in the show notes and it's super helpful for people to, to know how to find you. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because it is all hands on deck and, you know, we, we have an opportunity. I, I think of it often, I think of this particular period right now as the great reframe. Uh, in my field of organizational development, we say that systems don't change until they suffer. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the workplace has suffered in these last three years at a global level in such a way that there's enough pain that we yeah. actually have the chance to get it right. We have the Absolutely. chance to reinvent the way that we lead, the way that we partner, the way that we design our systems to be better for people and ultimately then better for the planet and better for our communities in every way. But we got to do it now, you yeah. know, which is why yes. I love hearing about what you're doing because we're going to miss the moment because once the pain starts to go away, you start to think, oh, we can just go back to the way that it was yeah. and we get complacent again. And so I'm really eager to like keep the heat on all of us to do the reinventing now. Yes. Does Thank your you. podcast come out on Mondays? It does every Monday morning. Good to know. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thanks, thank guys. you, Mo. Appreciate Thanks so it. much, Chris. Thanks, May.